0: Welcome to Dragon Talk. <laughs> is, that, is that good? I do no, that was good. Welcome to Dragon Talk. Oh, that one was worse. That was terrible. That was some clipping. There was definitely some this, clipping
1: involved. In this is this live? No. People see this.
0: Welcome to Dragon Talk, Try ladies out and gentlemen. different personas. I'm Greg Tito, and I'm joined by...
1: Shelley Mazinobel.
0: Is that your name? Oh, uh-huh. I today? always thought it was... Uh, oh, it's today. Okay, good. All right. You're not going to switch it up? That's good. That's a good call. <laughs> Uh, we have an amazing uh, interview guest uh, How do you know on this he's, segment. He's amazing. Because we already talked to him. I know. I mean, no, we didn't. I mean, this is a, gee,
1: I hope it's a good conversation. We
0: shall talk about so many things. Uh, like I hope
1: it doesn't get too dark.
0: We won't talk about uh, homicide or suicide or cancer at all. And we'll concentrate <laughs> on D&D for kids. <laughs>
1: Right. Exactly. Because
0: yes. that's the, the positive thing that we're going with going forward. It is Dan Telfer, who is now the Dungeon Master for Nerd Poker. Uh, he's a very funny guy. been a comedian for a long time. Um, and uh, I think he's got some theater and background, writer, too. Theater. Theater, writes comedy. Yep, improv. Um, yeah. Does it all. Does it all. Does it all. And uh, really good to talk to him. He's got some great ideas about uh, 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 some things. <laughs>
1: I have a feeling you have, have a feeling think, that he loves? I have a feeling. Feel like oh going
0: to be a really good. We are traveling so much through time right now. It's
1: pretty to I don't really know memory. where I am.
0: But you have some fun things going on. Uh, you were just at Origins uh, when we are recording this, but yep. uh, it'll be a few weeks uh, ago as far as when people are listening to this. Yeah. So did you want to give any
2: uh, quick... It's just a
1: super fun show. Yeah. If you like board games, if you don't like long lines, if you like actually meeting some small publishers and seeing what they've got going on... Mm-hmm. It's a really good show, and if you like, if you like the D and the D, there's a lot of D and D. Yeah, that ballroom was filled.
0: Trevor Gidd did a good job putting all the D and D together. Yeah, and
1: Dave Christ with Baldman Bald Games. Yep, his um, his crew was always amazing, and it was very, very organized. And they seemed like they were having a great time. Nice. And we got to do some some uh, playthroughs of Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Loved watching the people. Play like they they're D and D fans, and they just got really into it. And they said it totally feels like D and D. Yeah, and I just loved watching them see things for the first time. Like there's never it's never not funny when somebody uncovers the deck of many things. <laughs> the deck of many things is in there. That is, oh. and they will always roll on the deck of many things, even though it's clearly saying like that keep going. It could like, be it's a your bad thing. Things are it's not gonna be as good the more you you draw on it right but they do they can't stop
0: there is something about that magic item where you just <laughs> kind of keep going
1: yeah and keep always playing. yeah
0: for people who don't know about uh betrayal or uh the new product what, what's the what's the quick
1: betrayal uh, at baldur's gate is a new board game coming out in october that's based on an existing board game called betrayal at house on the hill which has uh been out for quite a few years and has Surged in popularity. Surged, surged, and around 2013, when it was featured on Tabletop with Will Wheaton. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yes, House I on the know. House on the Really, <laughs> you're a <in> theater background. <laughs> Whoa. House on the Hill. You are explorers, and you are exploring a haunted house that you build as you flip tiles, tile by tile by tile. Yeah. Um, and then at a pivotal point in the game, something terrible happens, and the house turns one of you against the rest of the party. You become a trader, and you have opposing goals and objectives. Baldur's Gate is the similar, It's except you are not exploring a house. You're exploring the city of Baldur's Gate. Oh, that's cool. Through streets, through, through buildings, and through the catacombs. The catacombs. And, of course, if you are a Dungeons & Dragons player and you have an opportunity to go across the street or down into the catacombs, where do you go?
0: Uh, I'm gonna go to the catacombs. They
1: always go to the catacombs. <laughs> they
0: always draw from the deck of many things.
1: <laughs> they draw from the deck of many things. Oh, and it was also interesting because when you're playing D and D, you you tend to work as a party and you yeah. go together. And in um, Betrayal at House on the Hill, you always scatter because yeah. you're all trying to find different items and before the haunt triggers. And with Betrayal at Gate, they the players immediately just they scatter. They spread out. And the whole time that we were playtesting and playtesting, we had been doing since we were, it was like February and until I was at Origins a couple weeks ago. There was only been one person, one person who before the game started asked, hey, should we stick together or should we split up? And they were like, oh, we should definitely split up. But nobody even asked it. Really? Yeah. Huh. So it's just like, hmm. I guess this is a different style. It's a different right. style, even though you, you are playing D and D. Come
0: together at the end to like, you know, like
1: it or it. not, you're going to come together. Right.
0: <laughs> well, that's super cool. Yeah,
1: it was really, really good. It was fun to to see everybody.
0: October sixth.
1: October sixth. That's
0: awesome. I can't wait for that. Me too. Um, so uh, a couple weeks ago, we had the stream of annihilation where we introduced our new storyline, Tomb of Annihilation. Yep. We got some. Uh, uh, well, you got some. You got, Whatever uh, You can check out uh, some of them uh, amazing streaming shows that are coming uh, weekly on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash DND. All of the groups that we introduced uh, at the Stream of Annihilation are doing weekly shows. We've got Maze Arcana are doing two shows, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Misclicks Clicks D&D Risen is starting at uh, Wednesday at uh, – th- uh, I'm looking at it now. It's 3 p.m. 4 p.m. Yes, 4 p.m. on Wednesdays, Pacific Time. Uh, and then, of course, Dice Camera Action, which Chris Perkins is happening 4 to 6 p.m. on Tuesdays. We will continue to take the Waffle Crew through all those fun and fancy things. Girls Guts Glory has uh, been going on every Thursdays at 2 p.m. We debut an episode while also talking to some of the cast members and getting them a little bit like podcasty thing like this. Uh, you can check that out Thursdays, 2 p.m. Pacific Time. And then on Fridays, you'll be able to check out uh, – High Rollers, Uncharted Territory, 12 noon on Friday's Pacific Time. They're doing it at a different time because they're in the UK. Speaking of different time zones, Australian Friends, the Dragon Friends, uh, will be uh, performing theirs on Friday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific Time. They're actually going to be doing it in the future. They will actually be noon on Saturday streaming an episode that uh, it's it's. Yeah. I, I don't understand time zones it doesn't really make any sense to me but all you need to know if you live in the pacific <laughs> coast 7 p.m pacific time is when Dragon friends are going
1: I'm assuming all this is on the twitch
0: channel all this is on the twitch channel you so can they go check can mean, it out there but they can
1: see the whole schedule
0: they can see the whole schedule okay. including us uh talking on uh, the stream on Mondays at 3 p.m 2 p.m pacific time uh for about two or three hours doing it different times, except for July 3rd. But I think this is actually, you're going to be listening to this after July 3rd.
1: Old I'm going to point man. at the
0: camera a couple more times.
1: I thought you were playing at Sean. I know, I should it's be. And this is for audio, tea tea. so we're
0: really screwing all this up. That's about it. We're going to get to our interview guest in a little bit, Dan Telfer. But before then, uh, we have an amazing segment, which you're going to listen to about, uh, right now with some bings and some bongs. Yay! Welcome to another edition of Sage Advice. I am Greg Tito, and I am joined by Jeremy Crawford. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Going great. We are going to talk uh, today about uh, grappling, a special bit of rules, uh, and Jeremy's going to give us some insight as to uh, some of the thinking behind the design, behind the rules for 5th edition, as well as some history on what grappling means uh, to fans who have been uh, fans of many editions of Dungeons & Dragons over the years. Uh, But yeah, that's that's where we're going to get started. Where do you think... uh, Let's do the history first, because I think that makes the most sense.
2: Yeah, so grappling, which... At the end of the day, really is just it's the rule that lets you grab onto somebody and try to get them to not move away from you. Yeah, uh, how that works has actually changed a lot over the game's history. If you look at the previous editions, uh, there's, there've either been no rule at all, <laughs> or if the rule was there, uh, it's tended to be pretty complex. Uh, the rule, I think, reached its pinnacle of complexity in third edition, especially three point five. Uh, and then ever since then we've been trying to reduce its complexity.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, It was kind of a pain point at that point in the game's history, partly because not only did the rule at that point get its most complex over over the many editions of Dungeons & Dragons, but then a ton of creatures were using grappling. Mm. And then there were a number of feats and other uh, abilities in the game that allowed player characters to use it. So you had not only lots of grappling going on but that grappling was looping through a fairly complex rule
0: yeah so, and it was and it was also the reason i think uh, fans got you know, uh, uh, frustrated with it was because it seemed like it was the most simplest attack that you could make in a way where you're like, I just want to grab onto somebody. Right. Why can't that be modeled in a way you know that's similar to just rolling a die that you used to hit a sword? Right. Uh, but then there was the, all these opposed checks and things like that, and it was never you know as uh, 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 translucent as you wanted it to be.
2: So so it got it got a bit simpler in fourth edition, and then in the fifth edition playtest process, we attempted to simplify it even further. Uh, now, another thing we did is we also heavily reduced the number of creatures in the game that rely on it. Mm. Uh, partly because we decided that a creature should only have a grappling effect if it's really iconic for that creature. Like you couldn't imagine meeting that creature and it not grappling somebody. Right. A great example of such a monster is the roper. Uh, you, you know The roper with its big ropey tentacles, you expect this thing to try to grapple you. Uh, But there were many other creatures over the game's history that sometimes had a grappling effect included in its stat block, and it was almost kind of an afterthought. And so we weeded that out so that the monsters that are grappling, it's iconic for them. But then we also wanted to make the base rule fairly simple. And so what that rule is uh, for player characters is anybody on their turn can try to grab onto somebody and get them to not move away Mm -hmm. uh, by sacrificing one of their attacks – to make a special attack this grapple attack that rather than involving an attack role instead involves the grappler making a strength athletics check uh, this is like using your strength to like no you're yeah. not moving away from me i'm strong uh, and then it's it's contested by the targets either their strength athletics check or their dexterity acrobatics check and mm-hmm. what this represents is either They're opposing your strength with their own strength, or they're kind of wiggling out of the way using uh, their acrobatic ability. If the grappler manages to win that contest, they they latch on to the person and apply the grappled condition. The grappled condition is one of the conditions in the game that's defined at the back of the player's handbook, Mm -hmm. along with things like prone, restrained, poisoned, and the others. And... At heart, it's a really simple condition. It just means while you're grappled, your speed is zero and you can't benefit from any bonuses to your speed. So if somebody uh, you know, cast a spell on you that suddenly gave you a bonus to speed, that doesn't mean well, – what suddenly the, the grapple is broken right? because you can't benefit uh, from any bonuses to your speed. The grapple condition also lets you know that if by your own means or some other means you are at any point moved out of the reach of the grappling effect, the grapple ends. One of the, one of the common ways this can happen is uh, for someone to teleport out of a grapple. Right. So if suddenly you're out of the, the, the grappling effect's reach, poof, you're done. You're, you're no longer grappled. Your speed goes back to whatever it was before it was dropped to zero, and you can move again. Uh, now, while you're grappled, uh, you can then on your turn try to escape Mm. Uh, and it's a simple process because it's basically uh, the, the check that got you grappled, it's that check in reverse. You can now try to escape the grapple by making a strength athletics check or a dexterity acrobatics check opposed mm-hmm. by the, the grappler's strength athletics check. So it's basically just it's the same thing in reverse. If you as the person who's grappled, uh, you succeed on that check, you're free. Yeah. Now. Often people will get the grappled condition confused with the restrained condition. Because they used to be one and the same, correct? Or was um,
0: that fourth? It or, that used to be like it, when you're grappled, you are now restrained.
2: It, it's been, it, it often depended on the particular ability that was grappling you. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's important to remember that grappled and restrained are two different conditions. Restrained is the far harsher one. That is the one where you, not only is your speed zero, but suddenly you have disadvantage on your attack rolls. Other people have advantage on their attack rolls against you. You have disadvantage on your dexterity saving throws. That's way more punishing. So again, not the same as grappled. Grappled, all it does on its own is your speed is zero. Mm. Which again, it, because grappled – the, that condition can often be applied even in a kind of non-combat situation. You know, like oh, the guy's running away; just grab him. You know, try to pin him down, or yeah. or oh, our friend has been is being mind controlled by some evil force. Let's you know tackle her to the ground so she's not you know running off. Uh, so grappling can be used for a lot of situations, both in combat and outside combat, because it you know it doesn't on its own deal any damage. And again, it's that great way to just no, stop moving. You are, yeah, you're, unless you're out, right? So, like tra- tripping
0: on a you know a curtain or a drape or a rug or something like that that's been you know used to to rig or you know that you can use it in that way too, right? So it's with a thing that or with an object that's grappling.
2: Yeah, yeah. Gra- with with the grappled condition, it's always assumed something is holding on to you, and then when you're out of the reach of that something, the the grappled condition ends. Right
0: now. Uh in in other editions there were also things you could do once you had a creature in a grapple. And this is where the feats and the creature abilities got into.
2: Right. Right. So like right. once you
0: had were in a grapple, you could throw them down or trip mm-hmm. or, or or
2: do any of these crazy things. And and so we have a feat that does that. Right. But otherwise there's not a whole lot writing on grappling uh in the edition. Uh because again, we wanted to keep it pretty streamlined. Mm-hmm. Uh And again, anyone can do it as long as they sacrifice uh, an attack of theirs that they make as part of the attack action. Now, Mm. that detail is important. Okay. And because sometimes people will get uh, extra attacks as a part of um, some other action they're taking, or they might uh, get a bonus action attack because they're too weapon fighting or something else. Grappling cannot replace an attack you're making with any action other than the attack action. Okay. Um,
0: So it has to be part of your your round.
2: It's part of your round, and that has to be the specific action you're taking. What this means is, let's say you have a monster that does not have a built-in grappling ability, but the DM wants the monster to grapple somebody. Monsters can also grapple people even if they don't have uh, a grapple effect in their stat block. Like anybody else, a monster can take the attack action and replace one of the regular attacks with this special attack to grapple somebody. That's important to note. And and here's a further twist that I get asked about sometimes. People will wonder, well, can a monster with the multi-attack action replace one of those attacks with grappling? The answer is actually no, Mm. uh, because the multi-attack is is a different action from the attack action. And we did that on purpose because uh, monsters with the multi-attack action also have often have a ton of attacks. We do not want – and way more attacks than a typical person has with the attack action. Yeah. We rarely want all of those attacks potentially replaced with grappling. Uh, if the monster wants to grapple, it's going to have to use the standard attack action not its multi-attack action unless its stat block says otherwise. Now usually when a monster grapples, a monster isn't even using that special attack and the monster manual introduction talks a little bit about this. In the introduction, there's a sidebar about grappling and monsters because monsters like the roper don't have to make that strength athletics check to grapple people. Many monsters have built into their stat block essentially a free grapple where there might be some regular attack or the, you know, the monster you know, slams you with a tentacle or something, you take bludgeoning damage, and if, you, if it hits you, bam, you're grappled. Right. So the, the monster basically gets to cheat and skip right past the strength athletics check. Now, we did this for a few reasons, for, for speed of play. Also for these monsters where it's really iconic because as I mentioned, we narrowed down the number of monsters who are grappling. We didn't want it to be super hard for them to do it and we also didn't want there to be a bunch of steps. So we just – we bundled it all together. You know, yeah. the, the DM makes a single attack roll and if that monster hits – not only is it is damage and any other effects that are being applied, they're applied, but so is this grapple. Right,
0: and you had, and then it allows you to balance all those things against each other as well. So, like the yes. damage might be a little bit more mitigated, but you get the
2: free grapple. Which and then this is also why, because I, I get asked sometimes, why do monsters that have these special grappling effects? Why do they have an escape DC printed in their stat block? Because for for anyone who's listening who who doesn't know, uh. Monsters that have these special grappling effects have an escape DC listed in their stat block. Mm -hmm. That's the DC you have to hit with your strength athletics check or your dexterity acrobatics check rather than making a check contested by the monster's strength athletics check. We did this because we often wanted to control that DC. We didn't want the randomness of the monster making a strength athletics check particularly because actually in many cases, the monster making a strength athletics check would make it harder to escape. And we often want to to kind of get, you know the your ability to escape at a certain point balanced together with the damage the monster is also doing with that attack. So that escape DC gives us finer control to make it so that the game experience doesn't uh, go in directions that we think would be unfun. And it also speeds up the game to a certain extent, too, Absolutely. so you're not making, you know,
0: every round making contested checks. You know, that can be fun as long as everybody knows the rules. It can it can be uh, kind of a fun exercise, but then just removing one dice roll uh, can help speed it up.
2: Yeah, especially when a DM is making multiple dice rolls around, sometimes for a complex creature. And then if there are a large number of creatures in, in a fight, the DM is then also making roles for all of them too. Right. So we often look for ways to reduce the number of roles uh, that the dungeon master is making. That makes sense to me. And plus with one roper, it's bad. But if you have
0: five ropers attacking
2: you, all <laughs> of a luck. sudden you're like,
0: who's grappling who, what's happening? So any, any uh, ability to stream like that makes a lot more sense. That,
2: that, that nightmare fight is when you hope everyone can teleport. <laughs> just <laughs> like, get out of here. Uh, um, now, one reason why uh, sometimes people think the grappled condition has the effects of the restrained condition is that a number of the monsters who apply the grappled condition apply other things on top of it mm. so there are a number of monsters where their stat block says while the target is grappled the target is also restrained and then sometimes even other things you know some monsters you know the person is poisoned while they're grappled or there's some other effect uh, that gets layered on top of the grapple it, but as soon as the the grappled condition is ended usually all of those other things are ended as well
0: all right so it's like a a, a, a tree you know like yes. once this one's gone then the, everything down the line is done
2: and and there are actually a number of different effects in the game that are designed like that we not only do that with grapples where often a grapple in a monster in particular is a delivery device for other effects but then they all get shut off when the grapple gets shut off We do that often with the charmed condition. Sometimes monsters and spells and class features will charm a target and then say, while the target's charmed, all this other stuff is true. But then that means once the charm is shut off, all those other things are shut off as well. Uh, The frightened condition is used this way. Uh, We use it as a delivery device uh, for other effects. But Mm -hmm. again, if, if your fear then is shut off, then all of those other effects are shut off. Uh, the poison condition is another one that we think of as a a condition that's a delivery device. Often, sometimes you'll face it on its own, but often it has it has uh, little things you know uh, piggybacking on it uh, that that intensify the effect. And and so again, there are a lot of monsters where that intensification occurs with grapples, and usually that intensification is the restrained condition.
0: Got it. Now that's it's interesting because what you're describing sounds very complex, right? It sounds like, oh, well, these conditions are sometimes met and sometimes are not and sometimes... And that was some of the downfall of, you know, the rules as written for for Grapple in 3.5. Felt really complex. And then in play, it feels more complex. But this is... Maybe you could speak a little bit how the playtesting for Grappling happened during the D&D next playtest to be like, well, even though it sounds actually in play, it can feel very fast.
2: Uh, so yeah, this was something we we included in our stress testing uh, in in the office because we did a lot of stress testing of our own of the game in addition to looking at the feedback uh, from our many playtesters, and we found it was pretty speedy because usually it was just you make, I mean if you're up against a monster, uh, there's no role at all, uh, no opposed roles at all to be grappled. It's just. You, you make a regular attack roll. If it hits, bam, you're grappled. Right. Basically, it doesn't get faster than that. Un- unless we had some horrifying monster that just, I look at you and you're grappled. <laughs> you <know? laughs> you're near me, you're grappled. <laughs>
0: That's the next Medusa that we're <laughs> right. going to design.
2: Right. And we do occasionally do things like that with creatures like the Medusa. Just look at it. Look at the Medusa and you're in trouble. Um, yeah, don't turn to stone, Greg. Don't turn to stone. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, no. Now I have to do the podcast by myself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Two more segments left. that You got to interview people for. <laughs> I have a book to finish. I can't be here all day. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. Upfront, especially with monsters, it's really fast. Uh, and then uh, to escape, uh, also fast. Because whether whether you were grappled by the standard grapple rule in the player's handbook or you were grappled by a monster using its uh, exceptional grappling ability, you just make your your strength athletics check or your dexterity acrobatics check and if you succeed, bam, you escape. That's simple. That makes sense. Um, now, one other thing with grappling uh, is people often like to move the – the person or creature that they're grappling around with them.
0: Right. That's one of the advantages of grappling is that like, oh, well, I need this person over in this area and the only way I can get them is to get this grappling happening.
2: Yes. And often, this is actually a great example I mentioned earlier of how grappling can even be used outside combat because like sometimes your friend, you know, oh gosh, they they drank that wine that... Uh, you know, that that evil courtier put that strange poison in it. didn't do any damage to them, but they paralyzed them. OK, we now we have to move our friend the whole weekend at Bernie's scenario, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and so a DM can easily use this grappling rule to decide how to run that. And that is simply when you when you're holding on to somebody, uh, you can move them around uh, it at half speed. Now, speed. Okay. Now, a person might suddenly be thinking, "Wait a second! I, you, did you just grapple and grapple an ancient dragon and you're and you're lugging them around?" Well, the the basic grappling rule in the player's handbook accounts for that uh, because uh, it specifies that you can only use that special attack against a creature that is no more than one size larger than you. So, if you're medium size. Uh, The largest thing that you can try to grapple would be large size. Okay. Uh, So, no, you're not going to be able to just hold on to an ancient dragon and drop its speed to zero. Uh, Now, there are a number of monster abilities that grapple and some other effects in the game that do so that get around that, often because, you know, the monster is extraordinary or the monster is very large itself or it's powerful magic. So sometimes that size restriction is lifted in other cases. But, so if, but if you're using the standard grappling rule in the player's handbook, uh, your target has got to be, no, again, no larger than one size larger than you.
0: OK. Uh, but in that scenario, then, a dwarf, which is a medium-sized creature, uh-huh. right, can grapple a uh, storm giant, which is 26 feet tall. Uh, Storm Giant is
2: huge, right? Oh, are they huge?
0: Uh, oh, maybe that's, this is where I'm falling, this is all falling apart. <laughs> I thought they were large, so I'm, I'm, maybe I'm wrong.
2: See, I think this, this is a perfect example for you to have me demonstrate what I often like to demonstrate, which is, let's look it up. Let's look it up. Uh, yeah, yes. Everybody knows. Yes. The, this is not a game of, can you memorize the rule books? It's just nowhere to look it up. And, let's, and then we, we don't even have to wonder. We can just, we can be f- sure about it. But first, I've got to remember my ABCs so I can find giants in this book. Not
0: do C first, because that's always the uh, S. So
2: so that's a great example, Greg, because storm giants are indeed huge. Ah. So a dwarf uh, could not use the standard grappling rule uh, to drop that storm giant speed to zero. Got it. Uh, Unless the dwarf had some other ability that said, you know, you get to ignore that size limitation or, you know, it's changed for you in some way. Got it. All right, that makes sense. The Doergar
0: could do it with his uh,
2: grow bigger ability. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if if you were large, then you could try to grapple that storm giant.
0: And I'm going to do that tonight <laughs> when I fight <laughs> that, the giants.
2: That now, that now becomes your, your character's life goal. Yeah. Can, can I wrestle giants? That's, kinda, <laughs> that's a fun goal. It's
0: pretty cool, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, all right well is there uh, anything else so, so back to what I was saying about uh, uh, what I liked about the three point five grappling system was that it was almost like a a mini combat system in itself yes. where you could model mm-hmm. wrestling style moves mm-hmm. very easily uh, uh, now fifth doesn't have all that complexity, but is there are there ways in which you can you know uh, uh, suggest to use those type of things
2: yeah, so there are a variety of ways that you can uh, represent um, sort of wrestling or boxing, that kind of thing. Um, you yeah, can just really do anything like throws or, yeah. or you know So if you want to do if you want to do a th- non-damaging throw, uh, there's another rule in the combat chapter of the player's handbook. Right in fact, I'm looking at it right next to the grappling rule, and it's the rule on shoving a creature. And it is very similar in its procedure to the grappling, uh, where uh, You make this special attack that doesn't involve an attack roll and instead uh, you're making a strength athletics check, uh, again opposed by the other person's strength, athletics or dexterity, acrobatics. And if you as the shover uh, succeed, then you can either push the person back five feet or knock them prone. Uh, So it's very flexible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this, just like the grappling rule, is a great example of something where we give everybody access to these effects, but then there are many other things in the game that do these things more easily. Mm. Um, you know, like many class features, uh, like the battle master and the fighter has a number of maneuvers that will do things like knock people prone, or hurl them back, that kind of thing. Right, but as a
0: baseline, um, if you have a pretty good strength, you'd be... Obviously, very good at, at being a wrestler. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh,
2: yeah, right. And so the thing is, is the the beauty of these two simple rules is you can just using those model a lot of the kinds of things you'd want to do. I'm you know pushing you back. I'm knocking you down. I'm I'm holding you still. Yeah. Uh, those are most of the effects uh, that that people typically want to represent uh, with this kind of like you know non lethal um, wrestling around. With. What
0: about what about the move? Because because if I remember his grappling before, it was like the, you could go from a grapple to a pin, like which would basically be like the
2: restrained condition, I would assume. So so if you really want to go that far, if your group uses the optional feet rules, there's a grappler feet that le- lets you do that very thing. Got it. We didn't include that in the end in the basic rules, uh, partly because restrained is is a really hefty condition. Um, and we have other things in the game that do apply it. There are class features that apply it as well as spells. Right. Uh, but it wasn't something we wanted kind of lurking there in, in the basic rules. Um, so we moved it into all those other places, including into the grappler feat. And again, if your group uses feats and just, you want to be the ultimate wrestler, take that feat and then you can pin people and, and restrain them.
0: Nice. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, couple that with the uh, the gladiator uh, uh, background, and you'd be good to go.
2: Right, right. Or you, know, you can just try to put manacles on people, and that's another way to restrain them. But it's kind of hard to do in combat. It's like, could you hold still just for a moment while I apply these manacles? Is there a rule for that? Could you put them on in the middle of a combat? There is no rule for that, but it, but you could certainly improvise it, and the DM could roll with it. Yeah,
0: I could see that. Like if if you could get the, into the restrained condition, then you could put them like in a, in a party member could could help you and put the, the oh, manacles yeah. on.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and then that's often our goal with our rules design is provide provide rules for the things we know that will come up often and then provide enough foundation so that DMs can improvise the corner cases. Uh, You know, I've talked before about uh, in this podcast that we very consciously avoided providing rules for all of the corner cases because what can end up happening is if you create rules for too many corner cases, they can really bog the game down Mm -hmm. and they can end up being distracting uh, because those of us who really love to do a deep dive into our rule books, suddenly we're like, oh my gosh, all these options. And then the corner case starts kind of leading the way Yeah. Uh, when instead we always want the, the, th- the things that are foundational, the things you really expect to see in these high fantasy stories. Those are the things we want to be easiest, to happen the most often, and for us to definitely provide rules for those things. And then, again, have enough tools there so DMs can improvise the rest. Right. But even though the rules aren't necessarily there for the corner cases, the beauty of D D is you can always try them, you know, and that's that's also a fundamental part of our of our philosophy and how we design this game, is try it all out, you know, even even Let's if there's not works. yeah even if there's not a basic rule there, the DM has the guidance to to help you figure it out, uh, because at the end of the day, the main rule players often need to remember is their main job is just to say what they what they want their character to try. And then their DM tells them, well, here's what you do uh, to try to do it. Right. And the DM maps on what the best,
0: you know, uh, 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 rules that are that they are familiar with works for them, you yeah. know. And so uh, thank you for providing some of that guidance uh, today because I feel like now I want to use grappling
2: way more. <laughs> I can tell. You're like, I, I can almost like see into your mind, like the pro wrestler <laughs> character you're building yeah, like, next time. Yeah get the face
0: and you know, get get the, get the yep. good guy against the bad guy yep. I could see that happening in like you know big towns in the sword coast yeah we could start a wrestling league I think Mike would well Mike would like that
2: yes well and I <laughs> and and I've seen I've seen some players make fantastic use of the ability to shove people down uh, because even that you know when you knock someone prone That's and you're, if you're right exchange. next if you're right next to them you then have advantage on your tack rolls against them so that can be a, a very effective combat. uh, tactic. I like that a lot.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy, uh, for for coming on to talk to us. Uh, Where can people ask you some questions about uh, rules in 5th edition?
2: I I can be reached on Twitter at Jeremy E. Crawford. Nice. And uh, you started doing the stage advice columns again, correct? Yes. uh, We're going to bring them back this summer. I feel like I've been saying for a little while, it's coming back. It's coming back. Summer's almost over. (laughs) We're talking about how July is almost gone. Yeah. Yeah. it. it uh, I realized that uh, this year uh, I am going to twice as many conventions as I normally go to. I normally go to about four a year, and this year I think in the end I'll be going to eight or nine. Wow. Uh, and uh, then, of course, recently uh, Xanathar's Guide and Tomb of Annihilation both uh, have been a big focus. Yeah. Uh, but Xanathar's Guide will be sailing off into the world very soon. And, uh, then and then you're totally free to just go on to conventions. So <laughs> that's easy peasy from Then here on out. Then I will be going on to our very next book, which we have not announced. That's right. Stay okay. tuned for that. Yeah.
0: All right, uh, that was a really great segment. <laughs> Whatever it was, I really like talking to uh, both Chris, really Matt, loved, and or Jeremy. Really love talking
1: to whoever you talk to. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good inside. I love it because uh, we really get to like you know pick their he, brains. He was so good.
0: <laughs> that person was amazing.
1: That coworker of ours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he <laughs> sets amazing D and D bombs into my head, and now I know them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey. we're going to get uh, uh, straight to our guest, who is uh, uh, just an amazing uh, kind of performer, uh, writer, and comedian extraordinary. And Dungeon
1: Master.
0: And Dungeon Master, yeah. it's true. Uh, so let's call him up on the Skype right about Nowzos. Hello? Hey, what's Hello? going on, Dan? This is Greg. Hi, Greg. And uh, Shelly is here as well.
1: Hi, Dan. Hi, Shelley.
0: Well, thanks for calling in, man. Uh, I'm excited to uh, talk to you about your uh, dungeon mastering uh, history, uh, as well as what it's like doing uh, dungeon mastering for Nerd Poker.
4: I would love to tell you whatever you need to know, Greg. Nice. All right. So, w-
0: well, for for people who don't know, uh, let's uh, start with like more about what you do on on the comedy scene. How, how do people know you as a, as a comedian or? or sure.
4: Well. Yeah, I've been writing and performing comedy for about 20 years. Um, I mostly consider myself a stand-up comedian, but I've also been the social uh, media producer for At Midnight on Comedy Central for four years since the very beginning.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And uh, I've written on TV shows. I'm a writer. I uh, love to write. And, uh, and yeah, I, I do stand-up all the time in between all the other stuff. When did you
0: start doing stand-up?
4: I started doing open mics in college, and I mostly did improv and sketch and theater for a long time. I'm a big theater nerd. We are, too. Uh,
0: We
1: are.
4: Yeah, I heard. I'm very excited about this. And I actually just got to reminisce with my stage combat teacher. I was a teacher's assistant. I am SAFD certified and eight weapons for the stage. Whoa. uh, Including a gold star in Sword and Shield. Uh,
0: So... uh, one of my wife's uh, ex boyfriends uh, was certified in all those things.
2: Watch well. out for him. I know. I was like, I don't,
0: I'm not certified. I don't know if I can. I live certifiable. It. I can't live up to the
1: hype. In seventh grade, in my theater combat class, yeah, I really punched Amber Mendelson in the face. Oh screw, no! Screw you, and Amber. Everybody was like, she did that on purpose. <laughs> I didn't like her, but I didn't do it on purpose. Uh. I was actually like, totally impressed with myself. Nice. But I it did. I proven. used it. it. I used it to my proven. advantage. I'm like, that's right. That's right. Don't mess with me.
0: And I'm sure Dan is like, that's not how you do it. That's not a stage combat.
4: <laughs> away from the person. That's... and use what's called a nap to make a popping noise.
1: I was taught that you punch like past them and then. Yes. Do you hear that? Yeah, I think we. Not good. That. Wait. I oh, want him to hear it. I want Dan to hear it. Uh,
0: I, you didn't see me react. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I just got hit in the face. So, uh, yeah, that just goes to show you what kind of theater major I was. <laughs> Not that good. Wasn't-
0: That's super cool. Where did you go to uh, school? For uh, I
4: went to Columbia College of Chicago.
0: Nice. And is that Chicago where you did all of your stand-up and improv as well?
4: Yeah, yeah. I uh, I first started studying at IO, formerly known as Improv Olympic, before the International Olympic Committee decided that comedy <laughs> theaters were not allowed to share one of their nouns. Oh
1: uh, yeah, no, no sense of humor on those guys. None.
4: No, none. And as uh, if you watched last week's night with John Oliver, they're very interesting over there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it. it. Is the most recent one about that?
4: No, they, they did an episode last year about, um, let's just say how interesting that organization is. How interesting. Nice. Do some research. Bless their I'm heart, that
1: kind of interesting.
4: <laughs> Sweet. So you. So you. So I, I,
0: the whole Chicago scene, do you know uh, Jared Logan?
4: I do know Jared Logan. He was like a graduating class ahead of me in stand-up. We did a sketch oh, comedy okay. show together called uh, Don't Spit the Water, um, where – uh, we would dress up as really weird characters and try and get audience members to spit mouthfuls of water that they were holding in their cheeks.
1: <laughs> oh, I like it's,
4: that. Jared's regular character was this weird redneck in Long John's. <laughs> and um, and uh, let's see, I was mostly Jumbles the Penguin. I would wear a homemade uh, penguin helmet that I made out of paper mache and a hockey helmet. And I would do all this mime, like, frightening, like... Um, <laughs> It's based on Japanese Butoh theater where you would just try to make people extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we had a good time doing that. And I, at that point, was still kind of doing a lot of sketch and coaching improv teams. And I had done solo performance, like one man show type stuff and was really interested in stand up, which he was starting to kill at. So I sort of started tagging along with him at shows and begging him for advice.
0: Nice. Yeah. We had him on uh, on this podcast what, like a year and a half ago around that. Um, you know, because I was, I, I had uh, seen that he was a writer on the uh, uh, um, James Harden show. Um, yeah. and, uh, and then he was like, oh, but he's a dungeon master as well. And then I heard a few rumors that he was many people's favorite dungeon master. And I was like, oh, gosh, I want to pick his brain. So, yeah, we've been trying to get together and do something, you know, more official soon. But, uh, uh, yeah, no, he's a great guy.
4: Yeah. And uh, I, uh, I've written on The High Court with Doug Benson. Um, mm mm-hmm. Did a couple of little bits that I wrote for At Midnight. You'll see some stuff. I was a panelist on At Midnight one time. I want to do it with Jared. I want to make fun of Jared because he and I are both yellers when we're in comedy mode.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I saw him up here in, in Seattle. Yeah, and he definitely had that uh, that yelling quality in a, in a funny way. Yeah. So then if you get you got to get one more panelist who's more you know D and D tinged, and then along with Hardwick, you guys will just you know run the table.
4: There you go. They should have Mike Drucker on. I don't know if you know Mike. Drucker. Yeah, yes. Do too. Yeah. He would be he really fun. He was a guest on uh, Nerd Poker recently and a lot of fun to play with. I, I forget how I first got to know him. It might have been through just Jared.
0: Yeah, because I think they were friends. Uh, yeah, that, that, uh, and he, he, I, he's a game or was a, in the game journalist world for a little bit too because he used to work at IGN uh, when they were doing more video stuff. He would write some of the kind of comedy bits for them uh, for when they were kind of doing their first forays into, into video. So he pops up in that, in that circle of my life as well as the comedy circle pretty cool yeah lots of so circles. soon there will be this you know uh, everybody who plays dungeons and dragons will rule the world i think
4: is what's gonna happen. i've i've heard that jared is a much more strict dm than i am uh i'm i'm told that he he uh he's very rules oriented whereas i'm i'm much more story oriented
1: I don't know how you could be a strict DM with that group that you're DMing. <laughs> it would be really hard. Oh, be rules.
4: Like yeah, I, I'm actually trying to get better with the rules because I know like a good structure can give you a lot of room to have fun. But uh, oh, yeah, I think they're guys, having I, fun. Yeah, though no, they're having fun, and it's it's, it's uh, perhaps due to some um, external encouragement. I forget. I don't know what. Uh, I don't know how family friendly this uh, some whiskey is.
0: inebriance. Whiskey involved. and
1: pizza.
4: Yeah, a lot of whiskey and pizza. Thank you, Shelly. You know what's going on. There.
1: I listen to the show.
0: I think I think you were indulging in the herbalism kits.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I actually have never smoked herbalism uh, <laughs> ever, or
1: just been playing D anD. D.
4: Either I um, I take uh, what's called Lexapro, and I uh, feel like that's enough brain chemistry for me. Thanks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're like, my mishmash in my brain is all that's necessary. All right, yeah. so.
4: Although I, I do like scotch, though. I will, I will partake.
0: Nothing wrong with that. No. It, it's, it's a that's social lubricant. That's like a, that's like a
1: yeah, grown up drink. It's, oh. a, it's just like. I know a lot
4: of kids who like scotch. What are you
1: talking <laughs> about? I, well, scotch was always the liquor <laughs> oh, I stole first yes. from my dad's liquor It's cabinet.
0: like melted
4: butter. It's a beautiful uh. thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, when the,
0: So, all right, so we got your comedy background. When did you start playing Dungeons and Dragons?
4: You know, uh, I was talking to you about this before, Greg, and I think I told you college, but I think if I'm being honest, I played a little bit of D&D when I was, like, in junior high, Mm -hmm. and I didn't play more because it was mostly through my brother, and I didn't want to play with my brother. I wanted to play with, like, kids who were, like, a social opportunity. So, like, he had a big pile of books. He was my younger brother by Uh a year, and um, I would go through the Monsters Manual, like, completely obsessively, just Mm -hmm. going looking at the beholders and stuff and going, oh, man, I want to do this. And I did play a lot of the Forgotten Realms NES game. Um, that was awesome. Which uh, one was that? Like the Eye of the Beholder or like the Gold Box ones? I think it was just called Forgotten Realms. Like oh, it had
0: okay.
4: A, yeah. Uh, it was like, you know, original NES. So we're talking late 80s. Yeah. Um, I don't, and, I'm not familiar um, with that one. Oh, it's, it was super cool. It was really good at like making you feel like you could explore around a map and like discover hidden dungeons and caves and stuff like that. And you could design your own characters a little bit. You could name them, pick their class and like their attributes and uh, stuff like that. And I, uh, I love the customization aspect of D&D. So that part I had a ton of fun with even before. And I, I played a lot of uh, MUDs, multi-user dungeons, yeah. before I got, got a good group in real life. Um, I would play that a lot so uh, I was I was primed for D&D a lot before I really started getting serious into it in college and I think I mentioned earlier before the show too that uh, I played a bit of Vampire the Masquerade oh yeah um, so but now yeah like these guys have uh, been kind enough to invite me into a group that's been going for like 20 years these guys used to play with Chris Hardwick and Patton Oswald back in like the late 90s and uh, this game has been on and off for that long and uh, wow
0: I didn't realize that. I mean... No, I didn't either. I always assumed it was started up for the podcast, but they've been playing before that, huh?
4: Oh, absolutely. This podcast is kind of incidental to their group, and that's part of why I'm so honored to be doing it. Sark was their dungeon master for the whole time, and then Blaine took over for a year and a half when I joined the podcast Mm -hmm. uh, because... Mostly because Brian's known Blaine like the longest and they're really good friends. And uh, I've known Brian for maybe 10 years, but compared to how long they've known each other, it's nothing like it. Uh, so I came on as a player and then um, we took a break because it's r- really hard to book guests.
3: Yeah, <laughs> it's
4: really stressful and, and to like accommodate the podcast studio plus guests plus um, uh, Brian had a, like a movie to shoot. I had to get cancer real quick and uh, kick that thing's ass, uh, which I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, well but, done.
0: You rolled a twenty.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I rolled a twenty against cancer real good. Unfortunately it was uh it was one of those giant cancers. So I you know, my rolls weren't as good as uh they would have been if it was a regular size cancer, but uh yeah. Well
0: congratulations, yeah. you know, all joking aside, that's that's pretty awesome that you were able to do that and uh return to your, your one true calling, which is playing D and D.
4: <laughs> yeah, thanks. And uh, not not to get too political, but hopefully the government will allow me to continue to get health care. <laughs> so, no, no. Uh, there's hopefully no. I won't be skyping in from uh, Northern Ireland for future.
1: <laughs> well, well, if you are, we can still accommodate.
4: Online conversations can happen <laughs> anywhere. I hope you will, because I'll get real bored out of there. They got like sheep and I guess Guinness. So that's it.
1: And nice big thick sweaters. You can just keep trying nice sweaters on.
4: That's, yes.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: That's what Northern Ireland is known for.
4: Sweaters. Nothing other. There's
0: no political things going on there. (laughs) No.
4: No? Newcastle beer, sweaters. (laughs) And cheap. Uh, I I hear there's some uh, evil creatures in the woods if you want to go check that out. Yeah.
0: In the Loch Ness? Yes.
4: Scotland.
0: Oh, that's Scotland, right? Yeah, because it's, you
4: know.
1: <laughs> Yeah, that uh, yeah, silence you.
0: was very much like, everybody knows it's Scotland, Greg. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the Loch Ness. <laughs> yeah, Shelly
3: had my backup.
1: And people named Quinn. Don't worry, Dan. If, if anyone needs to call Greg out, it's me. That's, got, yeah. got, I'll always take that role.
0: So it's when just, I know, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take all that blame. There is a hashtag about it.
1: <laughs> blame
0: Tito. It's true. So uh, when they invited you to join Nerd Poker, had you not played in, in a long time since, you had, since college or, or had you kind of yeah, sporadically it, it,
4: done? I, it, I played one or two games with my theater friends out in Chicago. Theater is very good for bringing out the nerds. So
1: Yeah. I, yep. And D&D I, and theater. Hand oh in
4: hand. Oh, God. They, they were a magical combination. <laughs> um, so – I had played a little bit in Chicago but as I'd started focusing more on stand-up I was hanging out less with my theater friends which you know was sad but also just like a social timing issue. so uh, once I moved out to LA uh, Brian was cool enough to invite me on because he knew I had been listening uh, as as just a pal and a friend uh, and a, a nerd and uh, yeah it just it, it was my first real game in a while um, and we were playing second edition because, That is the edition we had all coincidentally landed on. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, we've since powered up. I think I have all the fifth edition books now, now that I'm DMing. I think the only one I don't have is that one where it tells you all the cool uh, other player character races you can have. What's that called? It's Voldo's. Volo's
1: Guide to Monsters.
4: That's right. Yeah.
1: Wait, why was I going to say everything? That's not
0: that's yeah, guide oh, I'm getting the one mixed that's up. coming yep. up this fall. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, Volo's guide.
1: Greg will hook you up for sure. <laughs> Greg, Greg.
4: <laughs> yeah, Greg, uh, you want to hook that up? <laughs> <laughs> Give me some of that good stuff. Um, actually, my friend, uh, I think she was just on the podcast. You might know her. Jen Kretschmer uh, told me about it. Um, she worked on At Midnight for a little while as a producer. And uh, yeah. Yeah, That's there's cool. some,
0: there's definitely some fun uh, uh, player races to jump into. We're, we're, we're playing Tabaxi. Yeah, yeah. Catfolk. Uh,
4: yeah, what is the the weird crow dude? Uh, Sark was just on a bonus Kenku. episode. <laughs> yeah, Kinku. He was a Kinku that was a kleptomaniac uh, yeah. and uh, was struggling with it. So and we, they can't struggling with yeah, it. yeah, well,
0: because it's hard because you can They can't. Uh, they can only mimic sounds and speech. They can't come up with anything on their own. So it's really hard to
4: role play. If you, if yeah, you take or easy
1: if you don't <laughs> he did it really well. think about it.
4: It was Sark's first time playing a character since high school, he said, and uh, he named it the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. And, uh, <laughs> he, he roleplayed it real well. It got in a lot of sticky wickets because it couldn't put loot down. And that's awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. So what was it like coming into a group that had been playing together for a while?
4: It was a little stressful at first. I was taking over a character at first uh, for Sarah Gazzardo, who is the only woman in the group. Mm-hmm. And um, I like to play uh, female characters uh, for, just for the f*** of it. And um, I can swear, right? That's cool. Yeah,
0: no, totes. Greg, okay, good, Greg's good, good. crying. You can also say stupid words like totes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd rather hear
4: that. <laughs> uh, totes f***. <laughs> But yeah, like it was weird because, uh, when I took Sarah's character over, I felt this obligation to the fans of like, well, she was always the one who investigate stuff and not immediately start hacking at stuff with swords while the rest of them is a bit of a wrecking crew. So I really wanted to do honor to her voice Mm. and I even messaged her back and forth. It's like, okay, like, how am I doing? What do you think? And she was like, I'm having a baby. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, but then she ended up going on extended hiatus and I took her character over permanently and then I got her character killed and uh, <gasps> oh, no. I was I felt horrible. But I think I did it because I was being accurate with how I was playing her character. She approached some giants and tried to take a diplomatic route and then she got squished.
0: Yeah, that happens.
1: Well, it's so. a good way to go out if you're gonna go out.
4: It is. So you But I feel like I I've I've sort of uh, carried her torch a little bit as the the group investigator. And now that I'm DM, um I'm definitely trying to make sure the characters don't forget about story, even though they like to blow stuff up all the time.
0: It's a hard thing to do as a dungeon master, right? Yeah. To be like, by the way, you can, you know, maybe interrogate some of these people if you want to learn just something.
1: Can we just talk? Yeah.
4: Yeah, it's hard. They, they've killed, I think, every NPC that I've thrown at them, with like a couple of exceptions. <laughs> um, <It's on> the...
0: <laughs> so, in uh, that
4: defense, I put them in an evil land like I kind of stranded them in this post-apocalyptic island that is like a refuge for all this evil and uh, they're recognizing it and their response is to go oh you got some lore in your back pocket I wonder what your back pocket would look like while it's on fire so
0: So that's on you man
4: yeah trust issues it kind of is on me but you know
0: so how how do you think you're gonna uh, work with that as going forward
4: It's tricky. I think one thing that's interesting is I I don't want to reveal it yet because we've recorded a few episodes in the future, but the sessions that we're recording tonight uh, deal largely with their characters sort of making some choices uh, Mm. that are slightly at odds with their chaotic good alignment. So it'll be Mm. uh, interesting to see how they deal with it. I've been trying to craft it so, you know, the situation will actually present them with a lot of NPCs at once. So they'll have to kind of figure out like, OK, if we're going to fight, it's going to have a ramification on these other NPCs that might be watching and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I'm, I'm hoping there'll be an, an enough reflective surfaces that they will be able to see their own choices within them.
0: <laughs> right. And they can they can, you know, mentioning the political atmosphere that's going on right now, you can be like, oh, right. Uh, maybe you don't want to just kill everything.
4: <laughs> it's hard when I keep giving him uh, new races that I've homebrewed that all have sharp piranha teeth but uh, you know
0: yeah right this character that has his teeth filed down to a sharp point he's really a good guy it's kind of a hard sell
4: Yeah, he's a good conversationalist
1: <laughs> so is it um When you're DMing and also being someone who has such a strong improv background, how much preparation do you do do for your campaigns?
4: Well, I'm really trying to do myself a favor by prepping. I I think actually DMing is a lot like doing stand-up in that you've got to do a lot of improv if you want to be good. But if you want to seem polished, you've got to do a lot of homework and repetitive tasks and stuff like that, like building characters. Uh, So... I like to do Google spreadsheets with everything in them. Um, they're real handy cause everything can be made into a stretchable or shrinkable column. Uh, they'll do the math for you. So like I've got a, a Google's sheet with all the characters experience points in it for a given evening and their total so far so they can peek into it and see like how close they are to leveling up again. And so it's a little transparent. It's not just like the dungeon master being like, Oh, you leveled up cause I'm bored. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm also keeping spreadsheets of, like, all the NPCs, what their stats are, how damaged they are. And um, I had a, a map cooked up that I think is really fun. Um, I'm obsessed with maps and illustrations. I really – part of what I love about stand-up is, like, if you're going to go do a show, you can have a poster made of, of like, the show to promote it mm. and have, like, a really cool illustrator draw it. So – there's this guy, uh, Sean Bryant, who works at DreamWorks, who's been doing a lot of cool fan art on, and posting it on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I asked him if he would draw up a map of this whole uh, sort of post-apocalyptic island that they're stranded on because I was sitting oh, wow. on this map. I gave them like a really dumbed down version of it that I drew up because I used to do illustration. But it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of focus and I get really impatient. So I'm really out <laughs> of practice. So I gave him this this map and I said, this land you're in is called Amina and like, here's where I put, you know, <laughs> the docks that you landed on. Right. And they were like, okay. And I love maps. I don't know how into maps they are, but I love <laughs> maps. And so, uh, I had written on this map, uh, a dungeon master version with like all the locations of other castles and caves and swamps and their names, because if they bumped into somebody who could teach them more, I wanted them to be able to learn more about this place. So, right. Before they, basically, they kill them. Before they yeah. kill them and murder them, yeah. Yeah, and they recently murdered this vampire. And uh, I was like, well, while you're looting your castle, you, you find this map that he had. Yes. And it's got, like, all the locations. Some of them are labeled, some of them aren't. It, you know, it's made to look like the vampire had had it sort of commissioned for himself as, like, a rich person sort of. Uh, little little bauble for him for him to display and show off to people.
0: Are you the vampire um, in this story? <laughs> I was.
4: I was. And <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I modeled the vampire's voice after uh, Mark Hamill's Joker in Batman. Oh,
0: that's a good. That's a so hard to
4: kind d- of talk like this. <laughs> um, but, uh,
0: that is a specific, uh, uh, you know, vocal treatment there. That's hard to pull off on a for, for a long time. degree,
4: bro. You know what it's like. Yeah, that's
0: right. Okay, good. Phew. That's why Shelly and point. I never succeeded in that because we were like, ah, we'll kill
1: our voices. I know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. I love maps, too. I would love the idea that you were able to draw on, you know, somebody from DreamWorks to make your player
4: handout. Oh, it looks so cool. I'm going to post it uh, to our Patreon later tonight when episode 11 goes up. I'm going to throw those things both up there. He basically took all my notes of, like, well, there's a big wooden golem that hides in these woods, and this is elven territory, and this mountain is called Misery's Finger, and <laughs> he drew it all into the map. <laughs>
0: I flicked off the camera during the Misery's Finger because I had to. I I felt like that's (laughs) what it would look like.
4: Misery's
1: Finger, I want to be the name of an 80s butt rock band.
4: (laughs) Butt rock? Yeah. (laughs) Well, Sean, the guy who drew it, uh, made a joke immediately about the proctologist. (laughs)
0: Mm, Yes. That is super cool. And yeah, it reminds me of when I was doing the uh, – I ran Tomb of Horrors recently and we made this cloth map of Tomb of Horrors that was kind of like a player map with some uh, notes in it from uh, the creator of the Tomb of Horrors uh, that were misleading, right? Um, and <laughs> nice. I did this as swag so I could give it out to people, but I actually got to pull it out uh, at PAX East and be like, here's the map that you guys find. And uh, it was super cool. So be, being able to do that for, like, a completely homebrew world that you're making and having it I have know. the quality of an you know, an illustrator from DreamWorks making it happen, thats that's, you know, nailing it.
4: I'm super flattered that he would do it. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked. I love homebrew and stuff too. Like as much as I love going over the monster manual, as I said, and we've, they fought a beholder, they fought, um, a couple of vampires that were, you know, not that non different, but, uh, there's some other vampires they're going to find pretty soon. Nice that are, uh, not as typical, got some other transformative properties and such Ooh. Uh, the apocalypse happened and, uh, there's special circumstances.
0: I hope all your players are listening to this stream right now so they can uh, know what they're going to get into tonight.
4: (laughs) Nah. (laughs) Hopefully they're not, right? Like, hopefully this will be a surprise. (laughs) Just kidding.
1: Just kidding, you guys. Uh, throwing you off.
0: That's awesome. I would love to see that map. So, yeah, I can't wait to see uh, where it is online.
4: Yeah, we'll post it tonight to the Patreon. Sweet.
0: Uh, so speaking of, uh, yeah, the, the, the business side of running your own podcast kind of thing, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening who, uh, have seen, you know, the stream of annihilation as well as all the live play podcasts that are out there and are like, Hey, how can I do that? <laughs> so, uh, do you, I mean, I know you came into a kind of mid midstream here, but is there any insight you could give to people on, 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 running your own show like this?
4: I'll just say, cause this is the, I've been a guest on a lot of podcasts, but I've this is the only podcast I've ever really felt any kind of like ownership of. And it's even even then, it's all Brian's show. You know, he does all the real business. What I will say, what really sticks out at me that I would always give advice for is microphones. Get a mm. real microphone. Get like a for real, <laughs> Like no matter how you want to record, be it video, audio, plunk down for like a serious studio microphone Get a uh, soundboard so you can have multiple sources going into a computer. Figure out if you're going to use GarageBand or Pro Tools and how you're going to use GarageBand or Pro Tools and make sure that sounds clear. Like really play with it. Maybe hire an engineer. Uh, I see you're pointing nah. at your microphones, Greg. I bet you're a fan of those. <laughs> hey, well, we're pointing it, at
1: Ryan. For that right. reason,
0: too, because we we used to get a lot of those comments as well. I mean, you know, we're... Uh, the, the we here at Dungeons and Dragons we make Dungeons and Dragons. We're not necessarily like uh, 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 pr- production oriented as much, although we do have awesome people that we can draw on. Uh, but we started this kind of as a making it up as we go, and so we've constantly put you know making small choices along the way to get better microphones, better things, get, having a sound engineer like Ryan. Hi Ryan. Hi
1: Ryan. <laughs> and now we have Sean
0: and Sean as well helping out with the video. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I think you know having just you know, someone who can volunteer and help out, maybe they can be one of the players or one of the other people who are doing it. But if they have any expertise in that, you know, it really does help. Uh, uh, because and I think sound is more important than video uh, for these kind of things.
4: Absolutely. I, I think we had uh, just issues with the distance and it would drive people crazy because we spent the first two months recording just in Brian's house on our own with a microphone that I thought was good, hooked up to like the the spare laptop Brian had just running GarageBand. And it worked fine, but it really was not up to our own standards. So we, we've we got an in-house guy. So episode 11 on, we've got five microphones, more if there's guests, all that stuff.
1: Wow,
4: Sweet. Makes sense.
1: So are you finding that a lot of people that you work with or meet um, in the, the comedy scene or just in the Hollywood world, do they all have a secret D&D connection. Or I guess not so secret <laughs> now, but it does seem like a lot of creative folks do have the D&D background.
4: Oh yeah. Uh, it's been really fun to be connected to this podcast and have people use it as a conversation starter like, "Oh, you're in the, you do this too?" Um, <laughs> you know, of course, people like uh Joe Manganiello and uh Vin Diesel play and um there's There's been multiple moments where just writer friends of mine or comedian friends of mine who've never played before have been like, oh, I always wanted to do that. I have to play that with you. Um, And uh, a lot of illustrators play it. That's been a really cool thing I've discovered. Mm. Um, My buddy, my buddy, Sarah Pocock, who's um, you might know her. She's married to uh, James Urbaniak uh, from Venture Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, oh, yeah. when I started on Nerd Poker, she was like, holy shit, I love Nerd Poker. I, I love Dungeons and & Dragons. And she plays with her kids. and um, Oh. That's cool. Yeah. I love playing with my kids. I play with my kids too. How old are your kids? Uh, five and nine. And I sort of did uh, my own version of D&D with them to make it a little simple to keep the five-year-old's attention. So, you Yeah, know, how do you uh, do that? I boil it down to, uh, first of all, I guess this... I mean, I'm expecting some sort of, uh, you know, pay for this since I'm adapting for kids for the official D and D, you know, stream here. Sure. Um, yeah.
0: We're, we're sending it down right away. Sh- sh- Greg, sh- sh-
4: will, Greg will take care of that for you. Few <laughs> grand? I'd really, no, no, no. What's your PayPal? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Dan> for <Telford>, <laughs> no, um, You get, you get like, uh, you get it down to strength, intelligence, and charisma. So it's like a physical, uh, an intellectual and a social, Skill, right? And you just have them roll twenties all the time, and you you as- assign their weapon a dice, basically, and you keep it simple. You keep it simple. It's tough because, you know, they 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 want to understand the complicated version of it, right? It's and aspirational I w- for them, and I want to give them the complicated version of it. So I've as they've been going and getting more used to it, I've been turning it more into just straight up fifth edition and. They're not ready for armor class yet, but uh, I feel like, you know, if you keep it real simple and you work up to the main thing, that's almost just a diagram for how anyone should be introduced to D&D. You don't sweat the details too much when you just want people to have fun.
0: Right. Yeah. It's more about the story and and them making decisions that they can see happen, you know, the the effects of which happen, right? You know, like that's, that's the yeah. most important thing to get across when they're that's, that young, right? That's
1: good advice even for not... We're DMing for adults too. Is don't sweat the so. details so much. If you just want you're, to have fun,
4: you right. end up playing with people who are not super combat oriented. Sometimes, and like my five year old, for instance, who she doesn't. She's a dragon born princess who just doesn't want to fight. She just wants to be evil and hang out in the she castle while To be fight evil, she loves being evil. She's total Slytherin. Like, <laughs> uh, what did she? She came up to me this morning, and uh, I was super sleepy, and she was just like, "Daddy." did you know we are all just full of so much blood? Oh. <laughs> I was like, I know. And it's, she's just got a great, she wants to be a veterinarian when she grows up. She, she she's actively says she wants to know about biology to help animals. And oh, that's it's cool. super cute, but like, like.
0: I could see that, taking I, a, that, that, that opening taking a really dark turn though. Yeah. She's like, you're full
1: of blood, <laughs> but
4: do you know if
0: there's one hole in it
4: all
1: come yeah. out? not anymore
4: I (laughs) I love to remind people in creative fields like dark stuff is often just an expression of wanting to have control over dark stuff it's not it doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad person it's like it just means you know you 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 know it's out there and you want to have power over it and not let it have power over you so I encourage that if she's interested in it. That's an interesting
0: way to think about it because my youngest daughter is going to turn four soon and she is the same way. Identifies with the villains, you know, wants to be Ursula, wants to be Maleficent. Um, But she's also got some behavioral problems going on, you know, for being a four-year-old. You know, so I feel like maybe what you just said kind of maybe just unlocked something in my brain where I'm like, well, maybe she's actually, you know, because she also has nightmares and things about that. So, like, maybe she's actually just trying to, like, be the bad guy that's in control yep
4: yeah Yeah. and i think you know i'm i'm still a believer in the basic psychology of if you show a young person a graphic image it can scar them for life like there's no question there like i'm not showing her pictures of like i'm like you know i'm very careful what i'll let her see from the monster's manual uh but at the same time there's this really cool book i would love to recommend to any parents out there who are nerds called uh killing monsters by gerard jones i don't know if you've heard of him uh he's a comic book artist and writer and it's it's uh it was written in 2002 so a lot has changed since then Mm -hmm. but it's a really interesting book about kids and and make-believe violence and why they gravitate towards it and just as simple as why do kids want to hit each other with a plastic lightsaber you know and and that kind of thing and um As a parent, I I found it really heartening. It made me go like, "Okay, so if my kid is creepy and beats me up, like there's a real simple way to deal with it. (laughs) I need that
0: book. Yeah, I want that book, too. It's awesome.
4: Uh, Gerard Jones, uh, G-E-R-A-R-D. And it's called Killing Monsters, Why Children Need Fantasy, Superheroes, and Make-Believe Violence.
1: Okay, they need it.
0: I cuz I when I'm, you know when I was game journalist I used to hear about that all the time where people would complain about so many video games, you know, having guns and were always predicated on shooting and killing people, Oops. you know, Sorry. and especially with all the shootings going on in the world, it was very easy for parents uh, that I was talking to just be like, "Oh, they're bad. I won't let my kids play ever." Yeah. And I'm like, "I don't think that's the answer. I don't think you know, I I I I understood that yeah, people want to to have control over that stuff, they don't want to necessarily be doing it in real life. They want the the safe, simulated version of it to uh, you know work through whatever it is they're working through. And it's not ne- an all play. If you go back, I mean, you look at cats playing together. It's pretty violent, you yeah. know, like <laughs> dogs. And, and they're, yeah, learning their, they're learning their they're learning their limitations and how to do better and get you know get stronger. So. I think there's some of that in, in, in video games and the, the kind of online play that we're playing, you know, or tabletop plays, like where you want to exercise those muscles, but not, you know, in, in a safe environment. Does that make sense? Is that what that book's yeah. about? I think so. Did I just yeah, explain the is. book?
1: Spoiler. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I don't need to read it then. I'm good. Well, I got it already. Makes sense.
4: <laughs> Quinn well, and his actually... – oh, sorry. I can't oh, – oh, oh, no. No,
1: no. Go ahead. No, you're the guest you
4: go well Shelly I find you fascinating <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say it's but, not that uh, I'm
1: not even gonna say it now because it's not good no <laughs> <laughs> uh
4: I don't want to get too dark uh I don't want to get too real but my brother who uh first introduced me to D&D actually passed away in 2001 oh no yeah um, he, he was in the military and he was just real depressed and he took his own life and oh, I've yeah. And, um, I've always been interested in just like, well, then what is the point of anything? What is the point of violence? What is the point of war and wanting to just sort of resolve all that stuff in my head. And, yeah. um, this book really assuaged a lot of my fears about being a parent when he had this one chapter it talked about, he, he visited kids who were in war torn parts of Europe who would play like a lot of doom and stuff like that. Mm. And they just felt relief. They just, they just felt oh, like a great tension in their heart had just been let go. And its it didn't mean that they wanted to actually create any violence in real life. It's just what well, they wanted control over it.
1: Now I feel relief.
4: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I do feel like sometimes Quinn is like – he's got this stuffed rabbit that – he actually named after his grandpa and all he does is kick it. <laughs> he's always just like, Come yeah. here, carrot Gekki. <laughs> 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 and he loves his grandpa. And I don't why are you so mean to this That's bunny? So disturbing. Yeah, yeah. It's so disturbing. And it's he just is very I just think like he, he's mean to animals. He's gonna be a serial killer. Like you know? but, that's, but that's not what it means. But maybe not. Maybe not. He's just...
4: Yeah. I, I've noticed that my kids are very, very well behaved in school. Like, really, really well behaved and really love to please their teacher. But they both come home and they want to just punch the shit out of me. Like, they like, <laughs> love to play a game where they'll, like, hide behind a corner and just uppercut me in the genitals. Yeah. And, we, have, <laughs> we have
1: those games, too.
4: And, I, and I, I, it sucks. But I think a lot of it might actually have to do with how I got sick. And they're worried about, like you know, is daddy strong? Like, is he okay? Oh. And if th- I can get away with doing this, does that just mean that we're, that all that, all that hurt is just goofiness? That's yeah. really
0: interesting. It I is. wonder if that is, it's like, they're almost, I mean, like, as I was saying before about like, you know, cats and dogs play pretty violently. Like, I wonder if that's what they're, they're, they're trying to test your boundaries yeah. now too.
4: Yeah. And if you see the, the, each the, the pets that play, the most violently are the little ones who don't know better. And yeah. they'll, they, when they're in a, a, a group, of a litter, and they're just tackling the hell out of each other and biting the hell out of each other. You notice they very rarely make each other bleed. They look like they're just trashing each other, but like they just get exhausted and lay on top of each other yep. when they're done.
0: Yeah. And that's uh, that's pretty much my left goals with my kids, just get them as tired as they can possibly get <laughs> so that they lay on me and fall asleep. Oh, man. Well, uh, that is super interesting. I don't think it was too dark at all because there's no. I mean, there's a lot of uh, D&D plays with a lot of those things, you know, like you get to work out yeah, it's a- some of that stuff. And I think it's kind of interesting that, that uh, uh, you know, that, that you're able to to move forward through that, some of those things with that stuff.
1: Yeah, I agree. a good way to bring it all back. I was around. trying to. I was that trying was to bring good. it all
0: back around. That was good. <laughs> Excellent that. work, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Sweet. Uh, so you, you mentioned that you're getting back into playing tonight. So you guys play kind of uh, for nerd poker uh, like what once every month or so and then cut those up into episodes. Is that how it works?
4: About every two weeks we play for two hours and then we cut it up in episodes.
0: Um, do you, Is it easier to think about uh, DMing that way in like an episodic kind of way? or Kind of, or, or do you Kinda, like-
4: yeah. I mean, you, you think about like, OK, they can only acknowledge so much if you have a fight last The whole episode, it's got to be visually interesting. You got to make sure the NPCs have an interesting armament or a fighting style. Um, And uh, the danger rooms have been fun. You know, we do bonus episodes where I cook up an an adventure that's only supposed to last two hours, Mm -hmm. cut in half. And uh, that's been really fun. I love cooking up danger rooms where I'm basically making up a whole module that's meant to be finished in two hours
0: those are fun. I mm. like those too. Cause that, in some ways, you know, cause usually those are pretty simple and you can, there's a lot of, uh, room for role play.
4: Yeah, totally. I mean, you've got a clock, you've got high stakes,
0: is it actually, I mean, you mentioned Danger Room. Is it actually, like, they're all, like, stuck in a room, like a puzzle room type thing, or
4: is it? Oh, oh I, I, I first heard Danger Room a long time ago uh, in reference to one-off D&D adventures. I apologize. I thought it was more common shorthand, but, like, it, it basically is a reference to the X-Men where they would practice fighting. So, like, it's, it, it just means that, like, you, if you want, you could accrue experience and loot, but really it's a one-off where you bring in a character and there's no long-term consequences because you're not worried about the long-term. Like, like when you're done, you're done.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like playing in games like that. It's kind like, of you know, like a convention one-off where yeah. you're not going to meet with these specific people yeah. probably again, but it's super fun, concentrated, you know, no, no longevity.
1: Not attached to your character. Right. Yeah.
0: So you can yeah, be, like- you know, a lot of people play themselves or play versions of themselves for long campaigns, but... For one-offs, I always find that those are the ones where you can go completely loopy and just yes, get into like and try a, different things. Yeah, completely different. That's way different from 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 you as a person. Uh, I don't know if you want to live in that alter ego all the time for like <laughs> a, hundred, but it's nice just for two hours.
4: Well, like we had an epi- uh Danger Room episodes with Joe Megan Yellow, and he brought his uh, character Archon the Cruel on and got married. I made an NPC that he married, uh, that's so sweet. and. It was. And and we said that he had met the rest of the party at a bar and just sort of invited them last minute. And then because his character is evil, that it, it descended into a demon summoning and a bunch of succubuses tried to crash the wedding. And like in do. two hours, we were done. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I like that you brought in like all of, you know, uh, 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 what, what I know about Joe's background as far as you know, recently married, you know, was uh, in a movie about male strippers.
1: Uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: It all seemed like it all got tied together in that Succubus one episode. crashing
1: the wedding. <laughs> the minute it happened,
0: it happened. Read about it. Yeah, week there were real succubuses there.
1: Totally. Were
4: yeah, really- and then we had Sarkon, who was the old DM, and uh, he played multiple characters, which he hadn't played any characters since years and years and years ago. So that was fun.
1: So Nerd Poker is it's audio only, right?
4: Right now it is. We did do a Twitch stream in the beginning when we hit 500, uh, Patreon and, uh, we'll do another one when we hit a thousand, uh, Patreon subscribers.
1: But no, so we'll, no plans to go permanently live.
4: Maybe I maybe. think we would love to in a perfect world. It would just mean, uh, you know, more overhead. So maybe we're building up to it. I oh, don't
0: know. Well,
1: maybe that would be cool.
0: Well, you mentioned the, uh, the Patreon, how can people uh, uh, contribute to becoming a patron?
4: It's patreon.com slash nerdpoker. And for five bucks a month, you get every episode a day before everybody else and two bonus episodes where we have cool guests like Mike Drucker, uh, Rick Remender, a really awesome comic book writer for uh, Black Science and Tokyo Ghost, was on. uh, Joe Manganiello was on. We're going to have, we we, we just had Sarah Gasardo and Sark on. We're going to have all sorts of people, two episodes a month and uh, other little surprises.
0: That's super cool. Now, you, I mean, I, I feel like you, there's a lot of names that we know of people who play Dungeons & Dragons out there, you know, like the like the people we've been talking about. Are there any that you know of that you don't think the general public knows of and they would be okay with you outing them as, D- <laughs> as D&D fans?
4: Oh, man. I don't know. That's a real tough one. Um,
0: I'm putting you on the spot.
4: How about this? I'll say our head writer at, at Midnight, uh, Joe Randazzo, has mm-hmm. not played yet, but I gave him a fifth edition player's book, and he's been reading it, and he really wants to play. He's turning into a big f***ing nerd. Nice. Uh, he's a former head writer for The Onion, really, really great oh, no. uh, writer, comedian, and uh, he's. He, I'm, I'm seducing him currently. <laughs> nice. To the dark side. Yes.
0: Uh, awesome. That's the way to do it. You just got to give them one book and then it's like, oh, I like this. <laughs> oh, the first
1: one's free. Now
0: I'm getting all the jokes that you guys have been making. This yeah. Whole time. yeah, exactly. How does, uh, so yeah, I'm just going to nerd out a little bit. How does out At Midnight work uh, as far as, a, uh, you know, because I, I know the framework obviously from, from being an audience member, but how does it work behind the scenes?
4: Um, I don't know how much I'm at liberty to say, but I can definitely tell you most of it. It's, uh, you know, we we start off the day with the research researchers do everything they're badasses and they're really funny people um uh if you want to follow them on twitter they can (laughs) they include rosa uh uh alexis gibson uh garrison taylor paris lay they're really funny people adam toltitz and they they find the weirdest craziest shit on the internet weird weird like bats wearing you know minions masks flying into a room and then a kid beats it down with a wiffle bat like just the craziest weird shit and um they then the the writers build games out of it the they build like okay like is it going to be this kind of game that kind of game and then there's a graphics department that makes examples out of everything and then we prep hardwick when he comes in And, uh, we do a couple of rehearsals and boom, we're live to tape and we send that shit off and it airs either that night or the next night, depending what day it is. That's
0: amazing. So it's all like a day long process.
4: Pretty much. And now we're taping two episodes on Monday, two on Wednesday, most weeks. And so we'll, you know, tape Monday night's episode at four o'clock on Monday and then Tuesday night's episode eight o'clock on Monday. And, uh, same thing with Wednesday, Thursday.
1: That's oh my god! Yeah, it's kind of like how we do Dragon Talk.
0: <laughs> it's exactly how we do Dragon Talk.
1: <laughs> All that research.
0: Yeah, except we don't have that. Well, I guess I guess you could say the D and D team are the researchers in a way, and I pull mm-hmm. them in to to do stuff. But yeah, man. Well, I mean, it's funny because a lot of the, we're, we're obviously doing the streaming thing as much as possible here now uh but it's funny how much i wish i had more tv production background <laughs> because it is that that level of like oh you just got to get it up well, and do it you didn't
1: know and well, make it happen right what how would you know if this was in your future <laughs> i did not know
0: i roundabout made my way into back into the entertainment industry somehow yes somehow
1: you made it back
0: <laughs> awesome well uh well that's why i'm going to pick continue to pick uh, uh the experts brain like yours dan uh, about uh, best practices because you know it's always about improving
4: it is
1: Slowly but technology. surely. Valuable. Kids these days and their technology. Soon Dan's five-year-old will be able to produce the live stream for him.
0: <laughs> That's a good idea, actually. At least your nine-year-old. She's brilliant. I'm sure she could.
1: Yeah. They'll know how to do it.
0: Love it. All right, man. Well, it was really good talking to you. Uh, and uh, I'm excited to, to let you get back to uh, DMing for uh, Brian and the rest of the gang uh, for Proker tonight.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, I'm Telford Dan on Twitch. If anyone wants to watch me play Overwatch sometime.
0: How, oh, no, I didn't realize that. Yeah, you, you mentioned that you did some some Twitch streaming. Have you been? How often are are you on?
4: Uh, I used to do it more when I made a little bit of uh, cash money on it, but I've kind of let it slip a little bit. So <laughs> I, I I I play like once a week. I'll play a little bit of uh, Bloodborne or. Or Overwatch. I've been playing a lot of Persona 5 lately, which doesn't let you stream. So.
0: Oh man, I love that game though. Uh, oh, it's so good. I just got. To, I just met uh, Matt Mercer's character. Uh, I went blanking on his name, but. Uh, oh, he's in it. Yeah. He is, yeah. He comes in like after the first. I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but there's you know you have the one like dungeon, and then after that uh, there's some downtime, and then you, you'll meet you'll meet Matt.
4: <laughs> oh, I must have met him and not recognized him. I've I'm, I've already beaten the second dungeon. So. Oh
0: yeah, no, he's the he's the 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 art student.
4: Oh really? Yeah. So he's in my party now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. He's a he's super emo for Matt Mercer.
0: It is. And he's and I love I mean, you know, you, you almost didn't recognize his voice because he doesn't do too much. Uh, uh Yusuke, yes. Thank you, chat, uh, for, for yes. giving the name. Um yeah, because he's almost like I think he's just talking straight up. He's not doing any kind of affectation to it too much.
4: Yeah, it's not nearly his Overwatch voice, which is it's I do it's
0: right. <laughs> I'm a Western man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, cool. All right. Well, I'm glad I was able to give you that, that little nugget of information. And give him. Uh, I want to give Matt That's a high five when I see him again too, because I'm like, You're yeah, so I good got at my
4: party. I got to do their uh, Hearthstone video series last year. That was really fun.
0: That is fun. Good times. All right, dude. Uh, where and where where can people find you on Twitter as well?
4: Oh, I'm just Dan Telfer on Twitter. Uh, just just straight up at Dan Telfer. Please follow me and listen to me rail against Donald Trump's healthcare system and make <laughs> jokes about seahorses and pudding. Yeah. Uh, I try to keep it light as well as heavy. Uh, and, yeah, Seahorses and pudding. And
0: Trump.
1: Are you going to go on tour at all? Are you going to do any shows up in Seattle?
4: Oh, I would love to. Seattle is actually, I think, my favorite place to do comedy. That's actually, I think, where I first met Mike Drucker. He's from Seattle. he Or not from Seattle, but he he worked there at Nintendo for a while. Oh.
0: That's right. He was uh, in the Treehouse, wasn't he?
4: Yes. Uh, so I've done oh, stand-up up there with... Uh, oh, and... um. Uh, Brian Cook I don't know if you know Brian, comedian Brian Cook he's a TV writer also really funny guy um, I love Seattle really. come, back. come back
1: come yeah. back anytime
4: I would love to
0: sweet alright man well take it easy and uh, good talking to you and we'll talk again say soon say hi
1: to the crew tonight
0: we'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks so much
4: for having me on you guys thank awesome. you
1: Bye-bye. bye 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 bye
0: Sweet. I like him. I like him, too. That was a really good conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was fun. I kind of want to, now I want to, like, have him on again and talk more about the dark stuff. I want to actually, like, get into it because there was and so I much. I kind of
1: feel better about yeah. Quinn's violence. About Quinn's
0: behavior, about Fiona's violence. I know, right?
1: She's got the she's got the violence, too.
0: There's some things. Yeah, she works out. She's got this one. Oh wait, this has happened over at Camping. But she basically, they were fighting. The entire time, where it would be like they were playing nice, they're playing nice, and then the two of them would both put their heels in together at the same time, and then there would be like scratching, fighting, like full-on like physical fights happening. Really, it happened like maybe four times over the course of over like a weekend. Over the weekend, oh my god, yeah, and it's like I don't, I want to teach you that that's those are not the right ways to solve problems and do all that, and so there was a lot of that. But or was, you just
1: put them in a cage, and let them go for it,
0: or teach her how to play Dungeons and Dragons channel it channel it into channel that. it somewhere else yeah I mean that's it yeah there's that it's,
1: huh? it's nice to work it out it's nice to work it out
0: nice Working uh, it out. let's do this as our outro you want to do this as our actual yeah. real outro that's our outro for this episode outed alright
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're outing
0: uh, Shelly where can people find out about uh, what's going on with you
1: uh, you can find me on twitter yes. at Shelly Moo Shelly Moo Shelly Moo
0: you like cows
1: mm-hmm. my mom calls me Moo Moo
0: That's cute. That is pretty cute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You're also doing some things for the Avalon Hill. And the
1: Avalon Hill. Find Avalon Hill at Avalon Hill 2, the number 2. On On Twitter. Twitter, Or on Facebook. You can find Avalon Hill Games. You can find me on Facebook. You can find my mom on Facebook. (laughs) She has an alias. So you actually won't find her on Facebook.
0: Unless you're really smart. Yes. In which we, Unless we
1: you be to. see, follow me, and you see me going. Hey, mommy! Blah blah blah. <laughs> Don't forget to watch Barefoot Contessa tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good recipe for a white sauce.
0: Nice. And uh, uh, I, we mentioned betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Yeah. As, uh, the next 6th. Big thing coming. It's October sixth. So good. I'm excited about that.
1: And if you're an Access and Allies fan, you might be excited to know that the anniversary edition is coming back. Sean, are you excited about that? Yeah.
0: Dun, dun, dun. It's
1: coming back in September.
0: I'm I'm very excited about it too. Yeah, you, I'm playing this game right now. I'm playing as Russia and I'm, I'm <gasps> about to make an attack uh, against those Italian forces cuz <laughs> in the anniversary edition Italy is its own faction.
1: Do you remember when I played Russia in Diplomacy?
0: I do remember when you played Russia and I, I said don't trust Ben Petrosor and you did and he backstabbed you.
1: Several times.
0: And then now the game is no longer in print because of this I try. one game. <laughs> I just
1: want to take that game out of print. Hold on to your copies, people, because you're never getting it again.
0: She's creating artificial scarcity in the market. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> you're playing the long game, aren't you, Shelly Moo? Hmm. It's true. Uh, so you can ask me any questions about Axis and Allies, my failed comedy career, or Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> At Greg Tito, I'm on Twitter. might not be failed. At Greg Tito. You can keep going. I can make you laugh. That's about it. I can make you laugh. Uh,
1: But are you making me laugh or is that (laughs) my theater background?
0: (laughs) (laughs) My (laughs) self-esteem is falling apart. Every day, anyway, I'm at Greg Tito. Uh, make sure you you build me up, Buttercup, just to let me down. <laughs> and uh, if you want to find out about Dungeons and Dragons, you can go to Wizards underscore DND. Uh, that's on the Twitters. It's also on Facebook, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, or go to twitch.tv slash DND, and you can watch all this right craziness now. happen. Uh, on Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific time, except for July 3rd, and uh, all of the amazing other weekly streaming shows that we got going on. Uh, And, of course, yeah, go check out Nerd Poker if you haven't already. It's It's very funny. Wherever you can find podcasts, it's available for free, of course. Dan Telfer, our uh, interview guest here, is uh, the illustrious DM for them now. Uh, You
1: will like him. They're very funny. They're very funny.
0: Um, Who knew? Like a bunch of
1: comedians playing D&D would be funny. I know, right? So weird.
0: It's insane. Uh, Speaking of insane, Tomb of Annihilation is coming out soon. It's like September 19th is not that far away. It really isn't. Uh, But if you want to check out some of that storyline ahead of time, you can find it out in Neverwinter, Uh, the fantasy MMO set in the Forgotten Realms. That's coming out July 25th on PC. You'll find out all about the Tomb of Annihilation, then interact with that story before you get even some of the uh, the RPG content that we've and, got going on.
1: And Chris Perkins. And Chris Perkins As is doing voice a voice. Act.
0: That's right. He's recording a voice. I think he's the voice of Volo. Just throwing that out there. That's going to be cool. I, can hear
3: this.
0: I think that's it. I think that's all I'm going to talk about right now. You guys are the best. Thank you for bearing with us. Uh, you're the best. Yep. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>